make the sale and then you turn it over to an AE to execute, we got to be careful because that's still your relationship. And so you have to make sure that you have relationships up and down your own service line to make sure that your customers are being well taken care of. And then you got to stay on top of your customer and make sure they're happy. This is Outside Sales Talk, the best podcast for outside salespeople. I'm your host, Steve Benson, and we're here to chat with the world's top sales experts so that you can get their best sales tactics to level up your game. Welcome back to Outside Sales Talk. Today, we have Melinda Emerson with us, and we're going to talk about creating a win-win solution with consultative selling. Melinda, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Steve. Absolutely. So Melinda Emerson is also known as the small biz lady, and she is a sales expert who has dedicated her career to ending small business failure. Using her 20 years of experience as an entrepreneur, Melinda has taken all that she's learned to educate people on all the things small business. Melinda is also a best-selling author and runs a consulting firm. So Melinda, let's jump into it. First, can you give us a brief overview of why it's important to know your customers, their needs, and their pain points? Well, I think the most important thing any salesperson can do is listen and really find out what your customer needs. It's not about launching into what you offer, certainly not talking about your you know, features and that kind of stuff. You really want to find out where your customer's pain is because once you know that, you can decide whether or not you actually have a solution that will work for them. The worst thing we can do as salespeople is try to sell something when somebody's got a round hole and you got a square solution. You have to be have enough integrity as a salesperson to be like, you know what, my solution, I don't know if it's really going to work for you. And I think that we have to be honest enough, not just about trying to get numbers, but trying to build partnerships with our customers. I think that is so, so critical, but I think sometimes we can all get into that, oh, I got to make my numbers, you know, and so you can start trying to sell stuff to people that might not be a good fit. But the problem with that is you're only going to make one sale, right? And in order for business to work, You've got to get repeat business over and over and over again. And you're not going to do that if you're not thinking about your customer first. Like you really want to get in your mind that you never want to let a customer down. And if that's true, then you have to always operate in their best interest, even if it's not in your best interest. And that's hard because I know people are like, look, I got to eat, you know, but you have to make sure that your solution is really a good fit for your target customer. That makes a ton of sense. And, and if you don't qualify well, if you're not selling to people that really need your solution, as a salesperson, you end up wasting so much time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's only so many hours in the day. And so really uh, m- making sure you're a good fit and, and doing, doing the qualification that's required it cr- is a part of creating a win-win. Um, because if you don't, you can create a lose-lose, which is, is the worst possible outcome, right? So from your book, you have the, the 12 P's for running a successful business. So can you elaborate on, um, on what the 12 P's are and, and how you can apply them in a consultative selling approach? Well, 
I think all 12 of the P's are more about looking internally at a business versus sales. But I think when it, when it comes down to what I think most people struggle with, it's really about if we turn it back on the salesperson and what the salesperson needs to think about, it's really about people, profit, and prospects, and really understanding who are the people that you're targeting, what is your profit opportunity, right? You know, is this thing worth your time? And then thinking about it from the customer's perspective and being like, okay, who, like, if you're in a consultative selling situation, the one person you're talking to might not have the juice to make the decision. So what you've got to figure out is how many more people got to be involved you know, this might just be the first door, but how can you get in a room with the four decision makers and do your razzle dazzle and close them? But it, it might take time. So you really have to understand, particularly if you're going into a new sales situation, you really kind of have to be patient so that you really truly understand what your sales cycle is. Because the first time somebody meets you, they're probably not going to buy from you. So how are you going to build the relationship ongoing? What is going to be your follow-up steps? Do you have any samples you can give them? Do you have any other experiences you can invite them to so they can get to know you? You know, because again, it's about like, no trust. I got to like you. I got to feel like I know you and I got to trust what you're selling me, you know, and that you're not just trying to sell me, but that you're actually trying to sell me a solution. And so I think that that's where of the 12 P's, if we're talking about salespeople and not necessarily people with a business, that those are the three where I would start because sometimes I think we chase sales that are not our most profitable sale. And we need to be really clear about, you know, is this sale going to make me money? Is this sale going to help me earn my bonus? Is this sale going to help me, you know, help my team win, you know, as a sales leader, do I have to jump in there and help my sales rep close this? You know, you've got to kind of understand where you are in the sales cycle and how much information you have about your customer. One of the things that I like to tell my corporate clients, because I work with Fortune 500 companies that target small business customers, but some businesses aren't so small. We're not talking about you know four and five people businesses. We might be talking about a business with 100 employees. So you don't just want to go in one door. You want to have at least three doors that you can go into because even if it's not somebody that can buy from you, it's somebody who can give you information about who can. And so you really want to look at any one customer as a market and how many opportunities can you develop within this one customer because that's how you're going to stay in the door. You don't want, as a, business, as a sales rep, you do not want to have just one relationship. That's always dangerous because that person retires, quits, what gets fired. You don't want to feel like you got fired too. So it's really important. But sometimes you got to be careful because politically inside organizations, somebody wants to look like the person that brought your solution to the table. So that person that you're interacting with might not be so hot and awesome about you talking to other people inside the company. But you want to figure out how you can make that person not feel insecure and build as many relationships as you can so that you can get to the ultimate decision makers as soon as possible. That makes a, a, a ton of sense. Um, in, in previous interviews, you, you mentioned that uh, you should never let your customers down. Uh, can you elaborate how we can use this framework and this process and consultative selling in general 
to never let your customers down? Well, I think it's really a concept, but it's almost like a mantra and it should be a mantra for any salesperson because sometimes it's hard not to let a customer down. Sometimes when you realize something was supposed to be shipped and it didn't get shipped and it's going to cost a boatload of money to overnight it, to get it to them, you got to eat it. You got to do what you got to do because even if it wasn't on you, because you're the salesperson, you're not the person putting it in the box and putting the label on it. But if the but if shipping and receiving screws up an order, guess who they're going to call and scream at? They don't know the person is shipping and receiving. So the one thing that we have to get into as salespeople is not micromanaging, but kind of making sure we understand everybody in the food chain who's got to deliver on this thing you just sold. Because relationships get torpedoed in the shipping department all the time but you got to make sure you got a good relationship down in the shipping department you got to make sure that if you get wind of a problem that you have some relationships even in your own organization to fix it you can't be like you can't tell a customer shipping screwed up they don't want to hear that they want to know what your plan is to fix it and how you're going to make good on it or what kind of discount they're going to get on their reorder or whatever. But you have to make sure that sometimes because many of us were trained as sort of like hunter gatherers, right? You know, you're the hunter, you make the sale and then you turn it over to an AE to execute. We got to be careful because that's still your relationship. And so you have to make sure that you have relationships up and down your own service line to make sure that your customers are being well taken care of. And then you got to stay on top of your customer and make sure they're happy. You know, you need to ask for feedback within seven to 10 days of a customer taking delivery. You need to call and find out how they, what did they get everything? Was anything broken in the box? Was it okay? You just want to make sure that you are always protecting your relationship with the customer. The last thing you want is a customer to call you and tell you there was a problem. You better know that, that their stuff didn't get delivered, right? And I think too often as salespeople, we're moving on to the next sale. We're moving on to the next sale. And I think we've got to get out of that. I think we've got to do more to make sure we're taking really good care of our customers. Absolutely. And I, I think it, it's sometimes hard, it's easy to forget um, that the salesperson can empathize with the customer, understands the customer so much better than other parts of your organization. Shipping, because they don't talk to customers all the time, they might not understand um, that the, the parts or, or the, the piece that you ship holds up their whole production line if they don't get it in time. You know, that whereas because as the salesperson, you're the one that gets that phone call to, and, and you're in charge of the customer's success, you, you know. Um, could, could you tell me about a, an example or a time when you saw someone do a great job at consultative selling and, and focusing on, on um, the, the areas like your, their customer and, and profitability that, that, and implemented your strategies that, that really helped them um, get great results? Oh, sure. Um, I sometimes, because I am a small business influencer, sometimes customers call me to execute marketing strategies. 
But, but what I really love to do is when they call me before they figure out the strategy and I can help them because a lot of times what I have found is some of my customers have really, really, uh, they've got PR agencies that don't have a clue about their end customer. And so they'll design these marketing strategies and sales programs that are really, really ineffective. And so for me, what I like to do is get in there and find out, okay, what is our goal here? What are we trying to accomplish? And it usually works best for me if I can talk directly to the customer. It's hard when you're going through a third party, like a PR agency or something like that. But if I can talk directly to the CMO, if I can talk directly to the VP of sales and have them and I say, okay, tell me what our goal was when you designed this program and can I give you some suggestions? And I have had some amazing customers. Unfortunately, I'm signed to a whole bunch of NDAs, so I can't name names. Sure. Let me just tell you, there's a really big insurance company that, that I saved from making a multi, multi-million dollar mistake because they weren't thinking about their salespeople. They were just thinking about trying to sell more insurance policies. And what I helped them understand was that they had a sales force that were all independent contractors. Nobody was an employee of the company. And so what I helped them understand was, look, if you don't help your sales reps figure out how to run their businesses better, they're not going to prioritize your product and they're going to be out of business. So I literally helped my customer figure out how to support their sales reps better. And consequently, they literally had a hundred percent churn every year Whereas they would get 2 million customers. They would lose 2 million customers. And once I helped them see that they just weren't supporting their salespeople the right way. Once they started adding training and services and helping them learn social selling and all this stuff, they saw a 30% increase the first year with the pilot program. But sometimes you think you got a revenue problem when in fact you might have some other kind of problem, whereas it's just lack of communication, your salespeople feel unappreciated, that, you know, they, they feel like they're not being supported and they're being beat on for numbers and it's a mess. And so I think sometimes it's not a marketing solution. It might be an internal thing you might got to look at to support your sales folks better. Yeah, I've always found that when, when revenue is going well for a company, when, uh, when, when, when the money's coming in the door and products are getting sold, it, it's it's the result of a lot of things being being right. You know, they're getting a lot of things right. They're getting their marketing right. They're training their salespeople well. They're treating their salespeople well. They're uh, deploying their stuff right. There's all these things that are that are that have to go have to go right. But when when revenue is is going badly, sometimes it can just be one key thing they're doing wrong. It's like, oh, we're compensating our sales reps wrong or, oh, we're incentivizing the wrong behavior or, oh, we're just not making sure our customers are successful with our product. Or, you know, we're not listening to, to our customers better. We're marketing the wrong customers. Like there's, there's so many things that can go wrong that if they go wrong, you can just derail uh, growth and revenue um, but I so, always tell sales leaders, talk to the frontline salespeople that are interacting with your customers. Sometimes their first thing is to bring in some outside consultants to fix it. And I'm like, 
look, you need to do a voice of the employee exercise and find out who the, what the frontline people think the problem is rather than paying a whole bunch of money to Accenture or somebody to come in and fix the problem. It's like, no, you've got people in your building that know what the problem is, but you've never bothered to ask them. Well, and, and that's the first thing Accenture does when you hire them. They, oh, yeah, they, they want they, to spend three months going around talking to everybody, learning your business, and then they'll design a solution for you. And I'm like, well, what did you just do? You taught them your industry so they can go sell, they can go work with your competitor after they finish working for you. I mean, again, I just think there's a lot of stuff that gets done in corporate America, and I look at it, and I'm going like, mm -mm, mm -mm, no, that's not it. And then, and then you, you did talk about, you know, poor compensation strategy. You know, you can mess around and have an 800 pound gorilla salesperson too, that, you know, is telling you how it's going to run because they know what their book of business is worth. So you've got to be careful that you're not creating those kind of people in your organization too, you know? Right. So I mean, you certainly want competition amongst your sales reps, but you don't want it to be to the point where you're creating prima donnas in your organization. Cause that is bad for morale. And, you know, it makes other people think they can't compete. And when people think they can't compete, they won't compete. And so you, you always want to make sure that you're supporting your sales reps because they make the money. <laughs> like, let's be clear. There's never a bad investment supporting the salespeople. They are the engine that's driving the train. But at the same time, the whole organization has to work right in order for the salespeople to look good in order for the salespeople to get a repeat order. And what we know about how people buy is this. An existing customer is 60 to 70% more likely to buy than a brand new customer. Brand new customer, you're lucky if you close them 5 to 20% of the time. So who is the more valuable customer to focus your time on? It is your existing customers. I know we're all excited about new leads. How can we get new leads? How can we qualify leads? Look, love on people who've already loved on you. You got to focus on existing customers. And I see too many people, big and small companies, always want to chase new, new customers as opposed to chasing existing customers. And I just think it's a strategy mistake. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think the smartest thing to do is split up hunters and farmers, split up like to have, if I had 10 sales reps, I want four of them working with our existing customers and making sure they're successful upselling them make you know just do making them happy with the product and then the other six hunting for new business and as soon as a sale occurs passing it to those four and uh that, that's the way we do it at, at badger maps and and i think that's the way a lot of companies are doing it today I, I, splitting out the the people who work with your existing customers versus your new business and I, and I think that because you, you want the you, you know you want the 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 way you compensate them to look differently. You know their their comp packages. You want you know it's it's effectively a almost a different person that you're hiring, different skill set. Um, but uh, but that, that's a, that's often when I you know get to know a new company that I'm that I'm working with or meeting with um, or or is becoming a customer of ours. Um, I'll often make that suggestion, suggestion if I, if I figure out that, they, that they're not splitting that out because that can make your whole sales team operate so much more efficiently. Yeah, and you got to realize who are your power players, shark salespeople, that that's what they do and they're good at it, and who are your team builders? 
yeah. are the people that are going to build those long-term relationships? Who's the person that's going to know the names of all the kids and the customers? Like you, you, you it, it, and it's a style thing, but mm-hmm. it's, it's also even a mentality. And I think that you need both on any good sales team. But I think sometimes the power players, the, the killer salespeople end up dominating sales teams. And I think, and I know why, you know, because they're effective, they look good, they're sharp, they can smooth people. I mean, I know why, but, you know, all of these fake relationships they build quickly to make sales are not long-term going to get you very much. It's it's the farmers on your team that are going to make sure people get taken care of. And that, you know, the customer success manager type folks, though, those people are really important. Yeah, I, I I love the baton pass, and and cus it, it does create a little friction for customers. You know, they they were working with one person, um, that got the deal over the line, um, and then then it's getting passed to someone else. But the way I kind of smooth that is is make it much more of a well. This person's gonna this person was the one that explained the product to you. They're our salesperson. This person is the person that's gonna deploy this for you. They're gonna work with you. They're gonna make sure you're successful. And then that baton pass um, is, is a lot smoother. So you're giving the customer a reason why it's happening, right? You're like, okay, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that way you can, your, your shark salesperson can have more, more leads and the, the person that's more interested in, in building out the relationships and spending time with customers and, you know, um, having that lo- having that five-year relationship with the same customer uh, that they, they can focus on that. And, and you get more done that way because the, and often the shark salesperson doesn't want to, you know, talk to the, no, that's the, not what they're That's not even their skill set. They want to make the next sale. They, they live for the sale. Right. Yeah. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Look, I'm a killer salesperson too. I love my favorite sound is send me the invoice, right? By the sound of money <laughs> coming to the door is my favorite sound. But I think that there's different skill sets that you got to understand. And one of the other things that I think is worth even mentioning here is that I'm a big fan of marketing and sales working together because I believe when they're separate organizations, it's a great way for silos to get created. And so I'm a big fan when I'm inside an organization working with them of getting the marketing and salespeople working together because the salespeople always complain that marketing doesn't generate good leads, doesn't generate quality leads. You know, it's like, well, if everybody's on the same team and understands what each other's pain is, then everybody can do their job better. You know, so I think sometimes you get the VP of sales over here and the VP of marketing over here, and then you got the CMO above both of these people. And it's, it's just a great way to have, you know, just a really fractured and dysfunctional sales organization. Yeah, getting those two groups to really understand one another and, and not have friction is is definitely one of the big challenges because if if miscalibrated, you can have so often you see a marketing team prosecuting going after leads, prosecuting leads that that aren't the ones that are going to close. It's it's slightly in the wrong industry. It's the customers slightly the wrong customer difference between a marketing qualified lead and a sales qualified lead right i mean there is and a lot of people don't understand what it is but marketing is also in charge of brand awareness so there's they're they're in charge of sort of like making sure people know the name of the company so that it makes it so much easier for the salespeople. but i think sometimes the sales folks don't appreciate the marketing folks right they're like mm-hmm. um, what are you guys doing 
make it another mm-hmm. commercial with a duck in it. Great. You know what I mean? So it's like, <laughs> I, I think, I, I think that there's some, there's some give and take there that I think um, everyone needs to like, kind of be more uh, generous, if you will. And I also think that if they make the teams meet together and, and maybe, you know, have somebody in marketing, have a colleague in sales that's on their team, you know, so that so that they can get real time feedback on their marketing initiative from a salesperson. The salespeople can tell you that's stupid, that won't sell. Yeah. And so I think that that there's not enough of of sharing around to get feedback internally before we just start blasting stuff out, which is also problematic. So true. And how can salespeople use consultative selling? to differentiate themselves from competitors to to beat competitors? I think when you use consultative selling, it's really about listening. Like, are you paying attention to your customer's needs and not just your customer's current needs, but also your customer's future needs? Because it's not about what you're selling them today. You're trying to figure out how you can position yourself to sell them something three years from now. So you want to learn, you want to listen, you want to understand what their problems are and what their growth trajectory is, what their product roadmap is. You want to understand your customer's product roadmap, not just yours. And if you do that, you can always figure out how to, how to zig where other people are zagging, right? You want to be thinking two or three sales ahead, not on the sale you're working on right now. And that's, and that's how you get into long-term partnerships with a brand. And that's really what you want. Well, and, and, and having those long-term relationships where they trust you, or those are always the most profitable relationships. How, how can you build that trust that's so important in, in constitutive selling? Could you, could you give us some tips on, on how you approach trust building? I think it's about approaching somebody as a human being first. It's not about the sale. It's not even about you. It's, it's, it's almost like how people approach social media, right? If you want to be successful in social media, you have to give to get. And the same is true in any networking relationship. You first, it's like when you first meet someone, you need to be more interested than interesting, right? We've got two ears and one mouth. That's because you're supposed to be listening. And you're supposed to be actively listening, not listening to wait for your turn to talk, but listening and thinking about who else in your network might be a good connection for them or another someone at another company that may make sense to add to the relationship to make the pie bigger. You know, there's sometimes it's not about your sale. It's about your figuring out your customer's problem and the best solution. And it might be a team of people to get to their solution. Like I remember one time um, I was working with um, a large transportation company and they wanted to buy new engines for their, for their trains, but they needed financing support. Like they wanted to buy, but they didn't have the right financial vehicle to buy. So we actually pulled in the CFO of the company to help them get the financing to do the deal. Because if it was just left up to the salesperson and the person that they were trying to sell it to, this was not 
going to happen. But sometimes you have to understand what the bigger problem is. The bigger problem is they needed a financing vehicle to spend $60 million. Okay, well, we happen to work for a company big enough that has a whole other financial arm that wasn't involved in this part of the company, but we were able to pull in the CFO and, and, and when is a sales rep calling the CFO? You know what I'm saying? Like it was a thing where somebody went out on a limb and said, I think we can fix this bigger problem. And if you fix the bigger problem, you get them the financing to buy the new engines. Are they really going to buy from somebody else the next time? No way. It's really about figuring out all of the problems, you know? Absolutely. Well, and what, what, what would you say to someone that says, consultative selling is dead. Um, you know, buyers are getting all their information online and um, the, the information is all available today. And, and so they, they have the ability to, to make their decisions without a consultative seller. If you're selling something that costs over $1,000, somebody needs to still have a conversation with somebody about that. <laughs> like people are not making, people are not buying big ticket items off of something they read on the internet. And why, why is there. that? Why, why is that so important? I, I totally agree with you. I mean, it's I completely like anything else. It's like, yeah, I'll make, I'll make a $300 decision off of something I read off the internet or watching a little ad for something, but I'm buying, I'm buying something worth hundreds of thousands of dollars or even a million dollars. There's no way in the world I'm doing that just on information on the internet. Now I might start there so that I can figure out who are the players I need to be looking at, but I assure you I'm picking up the phone or I'm on their website making a reservation for a demo or something for somebody to show me something. I want to talk to their customers. I'm not going to just take their word for these little testimonials that are on their website. No way. No, it, it really depends on how expensive the item is that you sell. But I promise you, depending on the age of the person buying in particular, oh no, people want to talk to a human because they want to be able to hold a human accountable if something goes wrong too. They want guarantees. They want warranties. They want to know what all that stuff is. And they, they can't get all of that just from reading somebody's landing page on a website. No way. I completely agree. Well, the, ne the next section is sales in 60 seconds. And so quick questions, quick answers. First question, what is your top tip for connecting with customers? Pick up the phone. Magic happens on the phone. Absolutely. I, I think that human to human connection is so important. And, and I would say also drop by, get in front of people, take them out to lunch, you know, like that, that is, that is how human relationships are built. Um, it, in your opinion, what is the most challenging part of consultative selling? What's hardest? I think the hardest part is figuring out who all the decision makers are. Sometimes you think you're talking to the decision maker and you find out, oh, there's a VP or director or somebody that's got to get involved in this decision. And that's tough because then you're like, oh, I got to do this talk again to two more people. Okay. You know, so, so figuring out all the layers of, of who the decision makers are, I think is really, really tough. 
And what tips do you have for reps to become customer ready before each meeting? What, what should they do to prepare? You need to know who the people are that are going to be in the meeting. I would do LinkedIn searches on every single one of them. And I would figure out if there was a point of connection with each one of them, whether it's where they went to college, where they got their MBA, some other charity they're on the board of. Like, I would know stuff about the people you're going to meet. You don't ever go into a meeting cold. And the other thing I would say, and don't ever go to a meeting late, 15 minutes is late. You want to make sure that you are there before anybody else gets there. You want to see people. You want to welcome people like you're the host to a meeting because you want to make sure that you are in the best position to get that extra little bit of information before the meeting starts. So you definitely, um, those would be my best tips. Well, and those can be the best times to really build relationships, get to know people. It's, it's, you know, walking to the meeting. Those are the most, sometimes the most memorable parts are walking to the meeting together, you know, going to get a snack, getting coffee, like the, all those little, all, all those types of niceties and, and the, the chit chat that's going on around it. That's, don't discount these people's assistants. I'm sugary sweet, nice to people's assistants. Oh yeah. I, I send the assistant a gift, just like I would send the person I'm targeting a gift because the, the assistant is the one that's going to really tell you how much time they really have, or the assistant's going to be the person that will squeeze you onto their calendar when they really don't have time. So I'm a big fan of loving on assistance too. Oh, I mean, I, I think that's, that is, I, I have, I've heard a million times people, people in like the med device or pharmaceutical industry, you know what the, know what kind of coffee the assistant drinks and you show up with a, with a, with a Starbucks of her coffee or his coffee and, uh, and you, you drop by a couple of times, they'll get you on somebody's calendar. <laughs> like, Absolutely. I mean, it's not as hard as it used to be to reach people because social media does make it a little bit easier to find people than it was back in the day when those guys were true gatekeepers, mm-hmm. but you still can't discount what they know and what yeah. information that they have access to. Well, and, and it's interesting, like the, the social media has, has created ways to like reach out to someone directly, but it, it it's like if if you talk to you know someone that I someone that I work with on my marketing team and or sales team or engineering team or if you know you've kind of figured out our problems and then they make an introduction I'm going to take the meeting every time. I mean, 200 people reach out to me on LinkedIn every day, right? Like it's really it's if they're selling things, it's really hard to catch the attention just because it's too much, right? So all, all these all these ways of reaching out directly with technology, I think they've opened doors, but they've, they've also, uh, they've made the world too noisy. And so it's it's, turned a lot of people off. Like I'm connected to over 16,000 people on LinkedIn. And I can't tell you how many emails I get from people who have clearly used some API to write the email. And so the thing at the top of my um, email is actually my podcast. So, the, so they'll talk to me like my podcast is my business because they use some AI to write the email to me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, delete, 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 delete. <laughs> and, and it's just, and it's so fast and furious and, you know, my phone's worthless. Like I can't, if I don't know the the phone number, I can't answer it anymore because it just rings, it rings all day. Oh, right? all day so, long. Yeah. Uh, it, so I, I think, I think the te- it's, it's tricky with, with 
technology that has enabled so much right now on the on the lead generation front because um, it's also it's all, it, it's hurting us as much as it's helping us frankly and and it makes salespeople spin their wheels a lot right it's almost better to think carefully about who really is the right buyer for this product and knowing your customer and your own product back and forth so you can really make that match and then reaching out to them or stopping by their office in person to, to show them, you know, it just, it's taking the time with the really high value leads, I think is a, is a, is a often a better strategy than, than, uh, you know, cold inmailing, you know, a thousand people. It's just, it's, it's really tough to, to, to make that work. Definitely. How do you stay relevant? with your customer base? What are, what are things that a salesperson can do to, to stay top of mind? Well, I think keep in touch. Even when you don't have anything to sell, keep in touch. Just check in with people from time to time. Don't just collect um, connections on LinkedIn. Reach out via email. I'm a big fan of handwritten notes. Um, I'm big on the phone, you know, but people should hear from you. You can't just let your database get cold. Um, and I think that, you know, the great thing about social media and email and all these great articles and things that come out is that gives you something to share. So keep in touch. Absolutely. What, what would you say the greatest sales lesson is that you've learned throughout your career? I think that there was a time when I believed you should always be closing, right? That was the thing people told us in the early days when I first learned about sales. And I don't believe that anymore. I think now it's it's about ABC, but now ABC stands for your attitude, your behavior, and your commitment. And I think that those are the three things that you need to focus on and try to control. Always, always be consultative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically, it's about your attitude about your customer, your behavior towards your customer, and your commitment to your customer. That's really what it's about for me now. It's not about this shark selling, oh, I got to close and close and do that. No. I mean, yeah, you want to close business, but you got to treat people like a human. And if you do that, they'll trust you. Absolutely. And as an actionable takeaway, what should the field salespeople who are listening today do as a, a first step towards improving the, their consultative selling skills? Call some of their customers they haven't talked to in a long time. Just check on them. Find out how they're doing, how things have been going through the pandemic, how their kids doing. Just check on them. You never know. Somebody might be like, wow, you know, I'm so glad you called me. I need X. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to uh, try to summarize some of the stuff that you've taught us here today. Uh, first of all, the most important thing a salesperson should do is listen. Work to build partnerships with your customers. Always work in your customer's best interest, even if it's not always in your best interest. Sometimes you got to go out of, out of your way for people. The really important P's um, for salespeople are people, profit, and your prospect. So, you know, who, who are the people you're talking? What's, how profitable is the opportunity going to be? Uh, who, who are the decision makers at this prospect? Salespeople need to protect their relationship with their customers by not letting them down. 
make relationships within your own organization to make sure that your customers are always well taken care of. Focus in, if you focus on existing customers, it's really helpful because that focus can keep your retention rate high and keep, keep growing your most important business relationships over the years. Sales and marketing should work together in order to build that strong customer base. You want to work to learn and understand about your customers. What are their challenges? What does their roadmap look like? What's their future like? So that you understand where they're going and how you can help them get there. Salespeople need to be genuinely interested in their prospects in order to build trust. So many wisdom, so so many nuggets of wisdom right there. Um, Where can our listeners learn more about your work? Where can they reach out to you? What what will be the next steps with you? Well, I am Small Biz Lady on all social media platforms. And certainly I am Melinda Emerson on LinkedIn. If I can ever do anything to support you in your sales efforts, reach out to me on LinkedIn and I will be happy to get back in touch with you and figure out how we can support your sales efforts going forward. Fantastic. Well, this has been a great episode of the Outside Sales Talk. I, uh, I really do appreciate you coming on the show here today, Melinda. If, if you work in, in field sales, you'll love Badger Maps. It's the number one route planner. Helps sales reps sell 20% more and drive 20% less. You can get a free trial at badgermapping.com today. If anyone can think of any other sales reps that would benefit from learning the skills that Melinda taught them today, share the love and forward this episode on to them. Uh, Take care until next time, everybody. And Melinda, thanks so much for coming. Thank you.